Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Brownsbridge Church podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Brownsbridge Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out more information about Brownsbridge Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Give it up for Jordan and Brett, huh? That was awesome. <laughs> oh, well, we are in this series called Less is More. We kicked it off last week with this idea um, that more is not always more and that we often fall for the more myth. That is the, the myth that we believe uh, that more of something is the solution. Uh, when we bump into something in life, we just think to ourselves, well, if I just had more of fill in the blank than life, would be better. Uh, But we also have all learned as we go through life that more is not always more. We we got more of something and we regretted it, or uh, we got more of something and we found ourselves with a number of different things that we did not know we were getting when we were getting more of the one thing. Like we just wanted this, but we didn't realize that more of this was gonna bring all these other things with it. So uh, as we grow and go through life, we realize, oh yeah, more is not always more. And so uh, today we are continuing with this uh, series, less is more. Sometimes in life, more is not more, less is more. And today we're gonna talk about money. And and we just heard it in the Ben Rector song that Brett just sang, that making money, it isn't easy and it sure won't make you happy. So I think it's funny we're so concerned with making money. And I know that life ain't cheap and not all good things are free, but there's no enough and no too much. And it seems so strange to me I just think it's funny, we're so concerned with making money. Now, if someone invited you here today, uh, you probably asked them, or maybe you asked you know what, I don't know, I I don't really like church. Churches are always talking about money. And the person who invited you here said, hey, no, that's the good news. At Brownsbridge, they never talk about money. And so if you were in that situation, I just wanna apologize on the front end. And it's true what they say. I mean, like what what the person that invited you said is true. We, We often... Don't talk about money, but um, depending on your church experience, that can be what you think of when you think about church. Oh, they always talk about money. They always want our money. After all, didn't, didn't Jesus even say that? He, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he said, hey, here's one thing you lack. You need to sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and then you can come and follow me. So it makes it feel like, oh, that's, that's like the prerequisite following Jesus is we gotta give all our money away. And you might even be thinking, oh, the title is less is more. So, okay, Adam, I already know where you're gonna go. Less money is more money. You're gonna do some sort of mathematical gymnastics to show or to prove today or to try to prove that less money actually means more money. That if you give your money away, you're gonna get more in return or God's gonna bless you or something along those lines. And you're right. That's the message today. Less money is more. And uh, we're gonna give you an email address that you can just send all your financial information to. And we can wrap up the service really, really early today. So let's close in prayer and we'll be on our way. No, no, we all, we all know that's not true, right? Less money is not more money. More money is more money. More money leads to a lot of different things. Not all good things, but more money certainly leads to more opportunity, more flexibility in life, potentially more impact and more influence. 
So it's not less money is more. That's, that's not what the point is today. And unfortunately, uh, well-meaning preachers have throughout the years stood on a stage like this, or they've stood behind a pulpit and they've talked about a money in a way that's made us feel bad in life. We made us feel like God is anti-wealth. God is anti-money. And uh, there's, there's a number of different scriptures that, that you can preach them this way, or you can preach them this way. And, 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 and they can be easily misunderstood and it can make him feel like, well, uh, God's just not for money. We need to give it all away. And, and then as we grow through life, we begin to build wealth. There's something in the back of our minds that, that kind of just questions, kind of wonders, is God okay with this? Depending on your church tradition that you grew up in, you might, you might carry a little bit of guilt into adulthood around money. And here's, here's what I would say, just as we're getting started today, is that God is not anti-money. God's not anti-money. God is, is, is for life. And life takes money, right? Life costs money. Every, everybody has to, to uh, eat and live indoors. At a minimum, those are the two things we need for survival. You could argue about a number of different things that, that we may or may not need, but those things are not free. Life costs money and God is for life. And so therefore God cannot be anti-money, but there is something that God is anti. God is anti-something. He is anti-people being mistreated. And throughout Jesus's ministry, he modeled this so well. Jesus said he came to show us what the Father was like, to show us what God was like. And time and time again, the thing that would make Jesus really, really fired up was when someone was mistreated. Specifically, when someone was mistreated for some sort of religious reasons or someone's belief system, Jesus would stop them and be like, wait a second, wait a second, you are valuing your belief system over this person. And that's not good. That's the thing that made Jesus really, really angry. That's the thing that really fired him up. So God is anti something. God is anti his people being mistreated. Any time a person is mistreated. And here's the thing today. If you, if you, don't, if you don't hear anything else I say, if, if you jump on your phone, start shopping on Amazon, or you fall asleep during the sermon today, please don't miss this next statement. Your money, your money will mistreat you if you don't treat it correctly. Your money will mistreat you if you don't treat it intentionally. Your money will mistreat you if you don't have a plan to treat it first. So God cares about what you do with your money because God doesn't want you or me mistreated. So it's not less money is more, but I believe it's less worry about money. It's less preoccupation about money. It's less being consumed by money that God is interested in. And so how do we do that? That's what I want us to talk about today. And to get us started, I wanna, I wanna set this up for us that there's really, there's two types of people when it comes to money. All of us pretty much fall into one of two categories. And I'm using a little bit of hyperbole here. So just go with me for just a few minutes. But uh, the first category is money worshipers. Money worshipers. These are the people that, uh, they, they think about money all the time. Uh, they, they love money. They're, they're passionate about it. Um, they, they make decisions in life based around money. Their future hopes and dreams are based on money. Um, 
And this really has nothing to do with how wealthy or, or poor they are. In fact, um, you could have no money at all and still fall into this category. A 20-year-old college student uh, with not a penny to his name can be a money worshiper because he thinks about the future and, he, and even the purpose of his education is based on money. And as he thinks about the future and he thinks about the business that he's gonna start or, or the, the way he's going to grow in his career, it's all centered around money. So this is money worshipers. And then the other category over here are money neglectors. Money neglectors are the people that are like, I, I do not wanna think about money at all. I just don't wanna have to worry about it. For them, it's like out of sight, out of mind. You know, the ideal thing for them would be for all the finances just to be taken care of and never have to think about finances again. And the same as money worshipers, these people can be wealthy or poor. They're gonna be people with, with a lot of money and a lot of extra that still are just like, nah, I'd just rather not think about it. And then there's people with very little be, that, that also have that same mindset. It's also uh, doesn't have to do with, with how much of a spender you are. Um, as you can have spenders in both categories. For the money neglectors, they're like not thinking about money. And then all of a sudden money comes in and they're thinking, oh, like, look, they hadn't been thinking about money at all. And then they get a paycheck and it's like, oh, we're gonna be fancy like. <laughs> Applebee's on a date night with that Bourbon Street steak and an Oreo shake and some whipped cream on the top two. Two straws, one check, girl, I got you. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. If you don't, just turn on the radio this week or have your kids sing it to you. Uh, my kids were singing that song this past week, just going crazy in the car as we drove to school. And I was like, I was preparing for this message and I thought, well, there it is right there. That's a great example of a money neglector. It's like, you're going through life. You're not even thinking about money. All of a sudden it's like, oh, paycheck. Whoa, paycheck. Well, now we got money. Let's go spend it, you know? That's immediately what you do is, is, is you go out and you spend it. So you got money worshipers and money neglectors. Now, if you don't know what category you fall into, here is a little test that might help you, okay? When I was talking about money neglectors, if you thought to yourself, oh, these people, so irresponsible. You know, get it together, people. Come on, don't you know that life ain't free? Come on, get out there and, get out there and contribute to the world. Come on. If you, were, if you were thinking that, you probably fall in the category of money worshipers. Now, at the same time, if as I was talking about the money worshipers, you thought to yourself, ah, oh, those people, they are so materialistic. I mean, don't they know that there's more to life than money? I mean, don't you care about mankind? Come on, don't be so selfish. You know, if, if that's what you started to think, then potentially you are a money neglector. Now you can see that as I set up both of these categories, that neither one are really a good thing. You know, over here on this side, it's like there, there's one thing and one thing only that you think about. And oftentimes it comes at the cost of other people. And we've seen people that have lived this way that uh, they, they end up, uh, their, their careers uh, may advance really far. Their careers may fall apart and uh, their families may be really blessed financially, but their families also may fall apart. They may lose their marriage. They may leave, lose relationship with their kids. They may find themselves alone because they made this the number one thing. Or over here on this side, money neglectors, you know, we can see that that's not a good thing either. You gotta pay attention to what's coming in and what's going out and, and you can't just, just be naive and go through, go through life with your, 
your head in the sand. I mean, you gotta pay attention and you gotta make some choices to make sure that you keep your house in order and make sure you don't pass on a lot of debt to your kids or you set them up for college or whatever the example may be, we can see that money neglectors may be problematic as well. And that's true even if you're not a Christian. Even if you're not a Christian in here today, not, not a church person, not a follower of Jesus, you can see, oh yeah, both of these things, they're not, they're not great options. But as a follower of Jesus, it's all the more important. It brings on a whole nother way. Because over here, it's like, wait a second. The way Jesus set up the gospel for us in our relationship with God, he is primary. And all of our life flows from that. And anytime we put something in front of him, we begin to lose in our relationship with God. We begin to lose in life. The Bible would refer to that as an idol. We can make money an idol, something, a physical object that we often put in front of him. And we have our life begin to flow from that versus having him first and foremost. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. You're either gonna love the one and hate the other or you're gonna hate the one and love the other. So as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, this isn't a great option. And also over here, this is not a great option either because the scriptures teach that everything we have in life, we are responsible for. It calls it stewardship, that we are stewards of everything we have in life. Every talent that we have, every gift that we've been given, the breath in our lungs, the health in our bodies. We've been given our life on purpose and for a purpose. Every asset we have, every possession we have, every bit of wealth we have is a stewardship. And we're responsible for those things. We have to give an account. And so if it's not a good option to be a money neglector, and if it's not a good option to be a money worshiper, and most of us will naturally drift towards or fall into both categories, what are we to do? How are we supposed to live? How should we view what God has given us and provided for us financially? And today I wanna look at a passage of scripture from the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 16. And it's a parable that Jesus shares with his disciples. And it's actually in the middle of a bunch of parables that Jesus shares. And all of them, uh, not all of them, but all of them in this, in this one section um, have something to do with finances or wealth or being given an inheritance. So he's talking around this idea over and over again. But this specific parable gives us a third option today. It's, G, it's uh, Luke 16, one through nine. And Jesus says this, we'll put it up on the screen for you if you don't have your Bible. If you wanna pull it up on your phone, you can. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Now, when Jesus shares a parable, it's just a made up story to prove a point, okay? So this isn't an actual story. This is something Jesus is making up to teach his disciples. And he says, there was a, a rich man, which rich in that day was not money in the bank. It was possessions, it was land. It might've included money, but it would mostly be his, his land, his livestock, um, wheat, olive oil, different goods that he would have. And it says that the rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So in this day and age, they would have, uh, much like we do with our finances, maybe a financial planner, financial advisor, they would have managers of uh, the various goods 
various livestock that the rich person would have. And so those managers would uh, make sure those, those goods were sold and that money was collected. He would pass that on to the master. And in this situation, in this story that Jesus is telling, somehow the manager has been wasting the master's possessions. He's been mistreating, misusing his role, his job as a manager, and word of it, word of it has gotten back to the master. And so he, the master, verse two, he called him in and asked him, he asked the manager, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. So if you don't catch what's happening here, we've just been transported into a first century firing. That's what's going on here. He's, he's being laid off. And the, the master's telling him, hey, look, I, I'm, I'm gonna fire you, but before he can go, he's, he's gotta go give an account of all the different areas of this man's wealth that he was handling. Like, before you go, I need you to go make this right. And so uh, the, the, the manager goes away and we get a little snapshot inside of his head. In verse three, it says this. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? What shall I do now? He looked at his current situation and said, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. So maybe he was an older man or he had some sort of physical ailment, couldn't dig, couldn't do manual labor. And I'm ashamed to beg. That would be you know, ruining his life to have to beg. So he sets up this, this moment, okay, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm about to lose my job and I don't know what I'm gonna do in the future. In verse four, he comes up with an idea. He says this, oh, I know what I'll do. It's like the light bulb goes off for the manager. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Here's the idea that he came up with. Verse five. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. And then, verse seven, then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Now, when I saw this, for years and years, I always struggled with this parable because it seemed to me like, okay, the, the manager's already been dishonest. He's already messed up the master's account. That's why he lost his job. Like, hey, I heard that you've been wasting my possessions. You've been doing some sketchy things, you know, uh, without me knowing about it. And word got back to me, so I got to fire you. So he's already been doing some sketchy things. And now it seems like, like, wait a second. Now he's doing even more sketchy things. He's, he's cutting in half what the people owe his master, which is why I was always so puzzled by the next verse. Verse eight. Again, we're still in the midst of this parable that Jesus is telling. He says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. So it's like, wait a second. I, I, was expecting, I was expecting the master to really come down on him. Be like, wait a second. No, 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 no. You, I already had to fire you because of your behavior. And now you're trying to cheat me anymore. No, you go back out and tell them, no, it's not 450. It's 900. You know, tell them to give them Give me what they owe me. That's why I was always so confused by this, this parable. But then as you begin to get in the context of what was going on in this day and age, it begins to shine a little more light on it. This is why context is so important to scripture. 
and that it's so easy to take things out of context. And when we do, we end up uh, uh, leading ourselves astray or leading other people astray to get the context of what's going on in the story. And in this day and age, you may have heard this before, but the way it would work is the way the manager would get paid is he would go to the people and say, okay, well, you, you know, you owe, um, uh, you're gonna take 400 gallons of olive oil. Well, I'm gonna mark down on the ledger, it's 420. And that little extra 20 there was payment for the manager for him processing the, the transaction, for him processing the deal between the master and the person that was buying something from them. They just take a little bit off the top. And, and you may have heard this before about tax collectors. This is why tax collectors were, were hated so much in the first century is they would charge interest. That's the way they got paid before they passed the taxes on to Rome. And what developed over time was this tendency to charge more and more and more to where the point they, they weren't just getting what they uh, would, would be a fair wage to them. They were essentially robbing and stealing from the people that they were serving. And so most likely this is what was going on in this story, that the mismanagement of the manager was that he was charging people far too much and far more than they owed and not just what would be a fair wage for him, but he was essentially, he was taking them to the bank. And so when it says that the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, probably what's going on here is that he saw, oh, he, he didn't just cut in half what the person owed the master. He took out the interest that he had, he had dishonestly charged those people. He took out all that extra where he was raking them over the coals and he was gonna basically get rich off of it. He took that out of their bill and reduced it down either to just purely what they owed or, or maybe to, to what they owed and then a fair wage for that person. And probably uh, the, the master's reputation in this moment, um, although he had, he had strained the, the master's reputation previously in this moment when he reduces the bill for these people, when he goes out and he does this with all of his different accounts, he all of a sudden makes the master look much better. So the master commended him, commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And then Jesus, in, in, in this, this next part of the verse, he jumps out of the parable. He kind of has finished the story and now he's turning back to the disciples to talk to them. And he says this, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. And th this is, could be a little bit confusing, but basically throughout the gospel of Luke, Luke sets up two categories of people, people of this world, people that think this world is all there is, and people of the light, the light meaning Jesus, following Jesus, following his kingdom, knowing that no, this life is not all there is. And in this moment, Jesus is saying people of this world, they're, they're more shrewd oftentimes than people of the light. Like, look, look like even this dishonest man in this story that I've made up, in this, this parable that I've made up, this dishonest man knew how to handle worldly wealth. And people of the light, could take note of that. And then he, he brings it home, verse nine. Jesus says this, I tell you, I tell you. This was a phrase that Jesus would use often and it was sometimes, hey, you have heard, but I tell you. Or it'd be at a moment of big emphasis for him. Like, hey, listen, pay attention to this. I tell you, use worldly wealth. Use worldly wealth. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. 
so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, what's Jesus saying here? It kind of sounds like, is Jesus saying we need to buy our friends so we can get into heaven? Like you read that on the surface, it can be a little bit confusing. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying in the same way that the dishonest manager, the dishonest manager said, "Uh uh-oh, I see the situation that I'm in now and I've got to look forward. In in a week or two, I'm not going to have a job. In a few days, I'm not going to have a job. Maybe, Maybe a few months. And in that moment, I need to live now so that I set myself up for success in the future. I need to live now in a way that's going to help me then. And Jesus is saying, look, if a If a person with a character flaw, a dishonest person can have that kind of forward-looking vision, then how much more should followers of Jesus have that same view on life? If this person who was cheating his master could do that, how much more should people who are following the true master, Jesus, in their lives? And he's saying we need to do the same thing when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our wealth, when it comes to anything that we have in life, anything that we are a steward of. We don't just need to look at the now. We need to look forward. And we need to live now that's going to set us up in the future. Don't waste our possessions now. Use them. Jesus says, use them. Use worldly wealth. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. You've you've been given this amazing gift from God. Everything we have is from him. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, you believe that he's the one that gave you life and he's the one that gave you every ability to produce wealth that you have. And so everything comes from him. And because of that, we have a responsibility to steward that. Don't be a neglector. Use worldly wealth. And at the same time, don't don't be a money worshiper either. No, no, money is not the ends. It's simply a means to the end. Use money. Don't make it uh, the, the primary thing in your life. No, the primary thing as a follower of Jesus is to follow him and to build his kingdom, to allow him to grow us and to produce fruit through our lives. And if that's the primary thing, then money is simply a means to that end. Jesus said, use worldly wealth. Use worldly wealth. If we don't use worldly wealth, oftentimes our worldly wealth will use us. It will end up mistreating us. As I said earlier, God hates it anytime his people are mistreated. So that's the message from this parable. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth. Use worldly wealth. Now, how, how do we do that? I wanna get practical for us, uh, with us for just a second. But how do we use worldly wealth? Well, it starts with having a plan. And here's, here's the beautiful thing, is that there are countless plans out there, good plans that we can follow, that we can adhere to. And specifically, Christian-based plans, plans that um, are, are kind of framed with a biblical worldview. There's so many of them out there. But there's, there's three consistent themes through any good plan that you see financially. The first is consistent generosity. Consistent generosity. 
Uh, you could also call this planned generosity or pre-decided generosity or percentage just generosity. This is the idea that, that, that before the month even starts, you look and you go, okay, in the month of, of, you know, of, of October, I'm gonna make X amount of dollars. And before I even start the month, I am going to give this percentage away. Now, what does that do for us? Well, it positions money in our mind and heart where it needs to be. It reminds us, oh yeah, all of this is not for my consumption. This is not just all for me. This is a means to an end. It connects us with great things that are going on in the community. And it's not just emergency giving. A lot of people go, well, you know, I kind of just save up my money and then when there's a need, I'll give to it. That's great too, but it's not going to have the same impact on our minds and our hearts that consistent generosity does, that pre-planned, pre-decided generosity does. Also, the, the, the consistent generosity is actually preventative giving. When we give on a regular basis, before there's an emergency, we end up preventing a lot of the emergencies that happen. You never know what's prevented. And also these organizations that do such great things, when, when we give to them on a regular basis, then when an emergency hits, if it does hit, they already have the funds they need to do what they do best in the midst of that emergency. So it's consistent giving, not just emergency giving. That's number one. Number two is strategic saving. There's a number of different ways to save our money for the future in a way that causes it to grow and build over time. But it's also not just retirement. It's in the short term as well. Um, you may have heard of an emergency fund that we should have three to six months of our living expenses saved or stored away so that if tomorrow we wake up and our job's gone or our company's gone or whatever, we're set up to be able to live those three to six months, but it's not just an emergency fund. It's also Christmas. Christmas is coming. It's gonna be here in December. And every year we spend money on gifts. And so you know that's coming. So why not start in January and begin saving for that over the months of the year? A car is the same thing. You may have a car right now and it's paid off and you're good to go. But the reality is that car is only gonna last a certain amount of time. You may need another one in two years or five years or 10 years. So if your car is paid off, you can begin to make a car payment to yourself, begin to put that money aside because you know that expense is coming again in the future. Those are some examples of strategic saving. Again, a part of every one of these plans. And then the third thing is this, controlled spending. Controlled spending. It's just the idea that spending is limited in some way. The plans will be different uh, depending on who you're reading or who you're following and depending on your income level, there may be more flexibility or less flexibility, but the reality is spending should be limited in some way. Uh, when my wife and I, Kelly, we, we got married, uh, we were both uh, following Dave Ramsey. She had been through Financial Peace University and I was in sales and was driving around a lot and I would listen to, to Dave on the radio. We had read his books. And um, so we, we uh, didn't have much money at all, but we just decided when we got married, we, we were gonna follow Dave Ramsey to the T. So we ended up doing what he calls the envelope system. Has anybody in here tried the envelope system, done the envelope system? People think you're crazy when you're doing it. Um, our, our friends definitely thought we were crazy. Uh, we, had, we each had this little brown um, accordion envelope. It was about this big. And you'd open it up and had all these little dividers. And we used these colorful sticky notes that we put in each of the dividers. And they were all the different categories. And before the month started, we would go take cash out of the bank, and then we would divide up the money for the various categories. So there was gasoline and there was groceries and there was restaurants and there was you know, a free category, like you can spend this on anything. 
And then as the month goes along, you know, anytime you go to the gas station or go to a restaurant, it's like, well, here's how I pay for this. And, and if you opened it one day and there was no money in it, guess what? Like you, you don't get to spend any more money in that category. And again, some of you may hear that and be like, that's a little over the top, don't you think? And believe me, our friends thought that at the time. And, uh, you know, that's, that was just kind of the way, the way it was. But we, we said, we're gonna stick to the plan. We're gonna stick to the plan. The, the part that was most painful for me was the restaurant um, uh, category because I love Chick-fil-A and I was in sales. And so I was driving my car around all day and like I can eat Chick-fil-A for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, for an afternoon snack. So uh, about 10 days into the month, every month I would open it up and there would be no restaurant money left in there. But that's the beautiful thing about having some sort of system, have some sort, having some sort of plan. It will keep you from spending thousands of dollars at Chick-fil-A every single month, okay? <laughs> or whatever version of that that you have in your life. So those are the three areas. Consistent generosity, strategic saving, and controlled spending. And, and another thing to keep in mind is that, that debt will greatly impact those three areas and your ability to do those three things. If you're, if you're free of debt, uh, you're gonna be free to give consistently and save and spend. But if you're loaded down with debt, it's gonna prevent you from doing those things. And um, again, people have different views on this. Dave Ramsey says the only, the only debt you should have is, is your, your mortgage, your house. But other people will make an argument. Well, I, you know, I've gotta get this degree, so I need to take out a student loan or you know, I need transportation right now and I don't have cash to pay for a car, so I gotta take out a loan, totally understand all of those things. But to have the mindset that, okay, ultimately long-term debt is going to prevent me from using my worldly wealth the way I want to and having that mindset, I'm going to get out of debt because it's the best thing for me and it's the best thing for my relationship with Jesus, when we're freed up to do those three things. So as we close today, I wanna encourage us uh, to take a step. Every one of us in here can take one of three steps. The first is you can make a plan. You're here today, you hear me talking and you're going, well, you know, I've never really, never really had a plan, you know? Maybe, maybe you thought I never really had enough money to have a plan. Or maybe you thought, you know, we've got so much money, we don't really need to pay attention to it. But today, for you, the, the next step is you need to make a plan. Or you need to revisit your plan. You had a plan years ago, but now you got married. Or you, you started having kids. Or your job has changed. Or some life uh, circumstance has changed. You're single again. Uh, you know, life has changed. And you need to revisit your plan today. Or thirdly, you just need to work the plan. Maybe you already are. You, you've got everything set up and you're working it. You just need to continue to, or you've got a great plan in place, but you've begun to drift away from it over time. And today just needs to be a time in your life where you go, you know what? I'm going to trust the words of Jesus. And I'm going to begin to work the plan again. In whatever category you're in today, um, I want to let you know about an environment we have called Money Wise. If you need help making your plan or revisiting your plan or working your plan, I want you to check out Money Wise. Uh, we have trained mentors that are financially gifted. They're not financial advisors. They're not gonna tell you where to invest your money. They will just help you develop a plan and work the plan. And we do this in a one-on-one -on -one environment and also in a group setting. 
So if, if you would enjoy sitting in a circle with other people who are kind of working out their finances, you can join a money wise group. Some people just love doing things in community, but others of you would say, oh, I don't, I don't know if I wanna share anything financially in, in front of anybody else. I'd rather work with someone one-on-one. We have mentor opportunities as well. And if you go to brownsbridge.org slash money wise, brownsbridge.org slash money wise, or if you can't remember that, just go to brownsbridge.org and there's a banner at the top of the webpage that you can click on and find out more information about that. But here's what I would challenge you with. Don't go through another season of life. Don't go through another season of life without a plan for how you're going to use worldly wealth. Use your money, just like Jesus encouraged us to do. Let me pray for us, and then we can head out. God, thank you for today. Thank you for life. Thank you for your love for us. Um, And thank you that you care about every aspect of our lives, including our finances, And there's a way that you've set this world up. There's a way that things work, God. And um, God, would you just show each of us how we can uniquely and personally live that out in our lives. And not just so we benefit, but God, so that people around us benefit. And not just so that we are blessed, but that your kingdom would be um, alive and well in us and blessing those around us. And we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for being here uh, next week. I hope you'll join us. We are gonna celebrate 15 years here at Brownsbridge Church. We're turning 15 years old. So we're gonna get our learner's permit. It's gonna be awesome. So you're dismissed. Have a great week.